At the Planet Money Podcast, we talk to anyone who can help us understand the economy. Fortune tellers, tango dancers. Obscure government bureaucrats. Oh, the obscure ones are the best. Totally. And of course, we talk to the smartest economists to explain everything from inflation and disinflation to how manatees got addicted to fossil fuel. That is Planet Money from NPR. The television series Dear Edward starts with a catastrophe. A plane crashes and there is only one survivor, a 12-year-old boy named Edward who loses his whole family. He goes to live with relatives and the web of people grieving loved ones who died in the crash grows and connects. Stunned by his losses and elevated to a so-called miracle boy, Edward struggles to find some kind of a way forward. The show was created by Jason Kadams, who has a long history making high-octane emotional ensemble shows, including Friday Night Lights and Parenthood. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about the Apple TV series Dear Edward on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Want all of NPR without relying on your radio? Visit NPR.org to be connected to your local station wherever you are and wherever the news takes you. Get your vital mix of rigorously reported local and national stories all live, free, and at your fingertips at npr.org. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. Joining me today is film critic and culture journalist Badatri D. Chaudhry. Hey, Badatri. Hello, Linda. Hello. Also joining us is culture critic and reporter Mark Blankenship. He is the reviews editor of Primetimer and the co-host of the podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Hi, Mark. Hello, Linda, and hello, Badatri. Hello, Mark. Dear Edward is based on a 2020 novel by Anne Napolitano. It stars Colin O'Brien as Edward, the only survivor of the crash that killed his family, and Taylor Schilling and Carter Hudson as Lacey and John, the aunt and uncle he goes to live with. Lacey is going to a support group funded by the airline for survivors. And there, she meets a bunch of other people we will also follow on the show. They include Dee Dee, a wealthy woman played by Connie Britton, who lost her husband. Adriana, played by Anna Uzele, who lost her grandmother. And Kojo, a man played by Idris DeBrand, who came from Ghana to care for his niece after the death of his sister. All of these people are in separate but connected stories of loss, and as the show goes on, we even meet a few more. Meanwhile, Edward doesn't know what to make of his odd celebrity status. The only person he really relates to is his neighbor, a girl named Shay, played by Eva Ariel Binder, who practices roller derby in the street. The series is streaming now on Apple TV. Mark Blankenship, you are... In my life, the number one Dear Edward fan. <laughs> so I want to ask you, what is it about this show that that reached you? Okay, I am going to have to make a comparison between this show and Thornton Wilder's play Our Town, but I do not want to imply that I think that this sentimental TV show is as great a work of art as the play Our Town. <laughs> so the reason I love the third act of the play Our Town is that when Emily goes uh, back into her life and revisits her birthday party, she has this experience of shock, tragedy, and compassion all simultaneously, and it's almost too big for words. And that 
always moves me. Like moments of compassion mingled with sadness that are hard to express in words are just my emotional catnip. And Dear Edward just got me in the first episode because the way that it handles the final scene where people on the plane are remembering things about their own lives that they'll never get to experience again, but it's completely silent. We're just watching it in montage. That had a touch of the Our Town effect. And the next thing I knew, I'm crying in a coffee shop watching this thing. And so for the rest of the season, I kept getting sucked into these moments that I found to be quite elegant, where there are very few words, but there's a lot of emotional heft. Not every plot line is elegant or subtle, but there are moments in the show, and in fact, I think almost every episode, that I do find to be subtly affecting and really do create as a whole a show that I feel is about the emergence of compassion from tragedy. And I just really needed that, I guess. This show gave it to me, and I felt like I was watching something that fundamentally believed that the story was, we are going to get out of the dark part and get into the light part. I found myself so touched by it that I was willing to forgive some things that in a different mood or in a different type of show I might not have forgiven. But you know, you never know when the Our Town effect is going to uh, take hold. Yeah, you know, one thing I was talking about uh, with somebody just the other day, there is a difference between something that is intrinsically good and something that fits the spot that you need it to fit into at that moment. Mm -hmm. I think what you're talking about is partly that. And I've experienced that recently with some of the kind of January movies (laughs) that we talked about in January. Right. Plane and Shotgun Wedding and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's sort of what you're talking about. Badatri, where did you come down on on Dear Edward? I mean, I cried. That's the whole point of the show, really. Uh, (laughs) I think you, I was reading uh, your work, Linda, your review of the piece. And then I think you put it very nicely that, yes, it is manipulative, like all art is. But, you know, what made me really uncomfortable is that I was almost waiting to cry. I'm like, okay, what's going to make me cry in this episode, you know? And it comes. And again, it hits the spot. But I couldn't get past the manipulation and the very textbookness of making people cry in the show. Yeah, I, I said to somebody while I was watching these uh, these episodes, I said, I didn't even know that there was this much acoustic coffee shop music like <laughs> in the world. And if you've watched a lot of shows like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think it's so interesting because Kadams, you know, is somebody who made Friday Night Lights, which I love. Parenthood, which I watched less of than a lot of people did. But when I watched it, it, it seemed like a good show. I think part of what happened here for me is that Kadams is already kind of a sentimental filmmaker and has a tendency to kind of draw out the big feelings in things. And I think about Friday Night Lights, there's a halftime where his players are really, really badly beaten up and he has to make the decision to forfeit. Yeah, I got to call the damn game. Just like that? What, do you want dissertation or something? Coach, I understand you're upset. Fine, Harvey. We would like to forfeit the game. How does that sound? Is that what you want to hear? Okay. It is scored with the Sufjan Stevens recording of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it is an absolutely beautiful scene that I found incredibly evocative. But part of what's evocative about it is that the sadness of it and the the emotion of it is sort of unexpected. It plays a little bit against the idea of a football halftime. Mm-hmm. It almost feels to me like it's a mistake for a guy like Kadams to take a book that is as overtly sentimental as this book It's kind of putting a hat on a hat for this guy to make this show. Mm -hmm. 
I almost would rather have seen this book adapted by somebody who isn't as much of an overt emotionalist, a a sort of an emotional maximalist as a filmmaker. Mm. Or I would rather have seen him do something that, you know, more like Friday Night Lights, it has big emotions, but it doesn't have that kind of like everyone's sad all the time. It feels to me like a post This Is Us where, you know, people love these episodes where they cry and cry and cry. And I get the cathartic impact of that. But as Badatri mentioned, you know, my question is where where art being evocative tips over into it being overtly manipulative. Mm. And mm. Mark, I'm curious about what you think about kind of where that line is between when are you happy being manipulated and when do you feel like, oh my gosh, I feel the hands of the filmmaker around my eyeballs rubbing lemons in my eyes. <laughs> right. I uh, I appreciate Badatri's statement too, that you can almost feel the moment in each episode where there's a person waving a flag in the background saying, cry here, yeah. <laughs> cry here, cry here. So because the show is trying so many different approaches to this post-grief or this emergence from grief storyline, I feel like I can think immediately of one example of the best of what it does and one example of the worst. The best for me is in the episode four that involves Edward and his brother's winter jacket. And uh, this jacket that never really gets explained. Like, you don't have to tell us why the jacket matters because we understand that it's the jacket that connects him to his brother. And so when he wears the jacket in school, even though it's so hot and he's so sweaty, and they've actually made the actor look sweaty and uncomfortable, but he refuses to take it off, that to me was very effective. We actually have a dress code that states that coats and jackets aren't to be God, Miss Wheaton, can you make an exception? He likes the jacket. He wants to wear the jacket. Why does everyone got to be in his business? Hasn't he been through enough? It doesn't need a monologue to explain it. But then on the other hand, as the season wore on, anything related to Connie Britton's character started to frustrate me because she did start being handed the two-page for your consideration, Emmy voters monologues that <laughs> were explaining what was obvious to anyone who was paying attention anyway. You know, Charles shot up the ladder like like a rocket. And I have loved every single solitary second of it. But I think, you know, maybe I loved it so much that I put blinders on because sometimes it didn't seem real. And so for me, it was when the show was able to pull back and say less that it was really working. But again, I'd been hooked from the first episode. So I was making a lot of concessions. I just think, you know, the writing, again, not having read the book, the writing could have been a little better. I mean, you know, it's hard to go on with the flow if you're constantly introducing newer threads to an already very vast storyscape, right? And, you know, it's it's only human to not be able to be as neat with every little subplot that you've introduced into a 10-episode uh, 10, uh, 10 series. I, I would love to hear what you guys think of it. I would have much preferred, you know, lesser stories and more depth. Mm. Uh, I think I would have liked it much better. My understanding of the way the book works, and I have sort of looked over the book, but I have not read the book. My understanding is that the book is more focused on, you know, you sort of are following Edward after the crash and you're following the lives of the other people who die in the time leading up to the crash. So you're sort of 
you're not experiencing necessarily so directly the grief of the people who lose mm. them. Mm-hmm. You are examining them themselves, right? That's my understanding of how the book works. And I think the decision to tell a whole kind of nest of grief stories um, does make it a bit one note because in every story, it's like, and I said this when I reviewed it, it's like even the things that are happy are sort of bittersweet because mm-hmm. everybody is awash in grief the entire time. And I I love us, you know, many wonderful stories about grief have been written and will be written, but I do think that this multiplication of grief stories made it difficult for me to feel texture in the show. It felt a little... Um, flat to me. And it's so funny that Mark mentioned Connie Britton because Connie Britton as a performer is my favorite part of this show. I love Mm -hmm. her. I always love her. I love her in everything. She worked with Kadams and Friday Night Lights. I think they have a longstanding kind of collaboration. But she sort of gets into this story that is about after her husband dies, she, she learns that he had a whole kind of other life going on. That story then played out in a way that felt to me quite flat. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it had enough kind of texture and feeling to it. But her, I really like. And so I liked a lot of the performers in this. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so overt. And it's, I agree with you, Mark, that the ones that work the best are the ones where you have to fill in a little bit of it yourself, Hmm. as opposed to those over-the-top monologues, but it's kind of how I feel about the Julia Sugarbaker monologues and Designing Women, which is like, they are ridiculous, and yet I love them. And that was the night the lights went out for Edward. (laughs) That is true. I'm curious about whether these stories, and I kind of have intentionally not explained the stories that kind of come up later Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sort of develop in in the later episodes, but I'm curious about whether those kind of core stories, whether you had a preference between them. The story that I found the most effective and that I thought about the most afterward was Edward's relationship with the guy at the food truck in his old neighborhood in New York. So, how's your brother? I haven't seen either of you in weeks. For a minute, I thought you went to a different falafel truck. And then I remembered, I'm the best falafel truck. Oh, yes. Interesting. And that is when I cried the most. That has a definitely a weeper element. But Atri, did you have a favorite? You know, I really like the uncle, um, Aunt Lacey's husband, mm. and the bond that Edward shares with him. I think I I was really invested in that and how, you know, how he always feels left out of this circle of grief because he did not lose, quote unquote, a blood relative or like a next to kin. Right. His loss and the way he reacts to this grief and like everyone around him is grieving. And how he is supposed to not talk about his feelings, how this act of grieving in a group is sometimes a little navel-gazing-ish and selfish. You know, he brings that out. And I I was really invested in um, that storyline. Yeah, it was interesting to ponder what a version of this show might have looked like if they had stayed with Edward and his his immediate circle Mm -hmm. um, when telling the story of the aftermath of the crash. Because... I think that there was a lot of promise for exactly the reasons you're talking about, a lot of promise in that story. I also wondered 
whether I would have liked it more if the show had been closer to something anthologized mm-hmm. where, you know, and, and this is something that many shows have done. If you kind of had the Connie Britton episode and you had the politics episode and you had the uncle and niece episode and then you had an episode for kind of these other stories that come in, it's interesting to me to wonder whether I would have felt the onslaught of those grieving stories a little bit differently if they had just gone ahead and just stayed with one of them mm-hmm. um, or at least or even just stayed with one of them and Edward. Yeah. Hearing you talk, Linda, about the the anthology approach makes me think that I wish the show were just a limited series mm. instead of something that sets up a second season in the finale because it sure does. I'm just going to treat it like a miniseries. I don't know if I would ever watch a second season, but if I think about this as just one contained thing that looks at a narrow range of responses to a complicated problem, I can accept it on those terms and, and not resent it for becoming something else later. And I'm afraid that that would happen if a, if a second season does emerge as promised yeah. or threatened at the end. <laughs> yeah, you definitely feel that setting up of a second season. And it's yeah. it's interesting to me to, to think about that because I, I think kind of constantly being kind of ping-ponged from one really sad situation to another really sad situation that's just as sad as the one you just left is part of what what wore on me eventually about the format, despite the fact that, like I said, I like coffee shop acoustic music, so what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we want to know what you think about Dear Edward. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Mark Blankenship, Bidatri D. Chaudhry, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This episode is produced by Candice Lynn and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow when, by popular demand, as many of you have waited for, we will be talking about The Last of Us. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that. Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye. Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail and beyond. They don't just tell you what happened. They tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every afternoon to understand the world through political eyes.